People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Today on Health Gig, we are joined by Dominique Dawes. Dominique is known in the gymnastics community as Awesome Dawesome. Dominique was a 10-year member of the U.S. National Gymnastics Team, the 1994 U.S. All-Around Senior National Champion, a three-time Olympian, a World Championship silver and bronze medalist, and a member of the gold medal-winning Magnificent Seven team at the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta. Dominique is also notable as being the first African-American woman to win an individual Olympic medal in artistic gymnastics and the first Black person of any nationality to win an Olympic gold medal in gymnastics. She has taken her experience competing in three Olympics to create a life of service to others. She holds minority ownership of the Washington Spirit, which is D.C.'s professional women's soccer team, and was the co-chair of the President's Council for Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition under the Obama administration. She starred also in the Broadway hit musical Grease and has been a motivational speaker for over 25 years. She's a mother and a wife, and Dominique holds her degree from the University of Maryland, and she just opened the Dominique Dawes Gymnastics Academy. Welcome to Health Gig. Great. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. We are so excited to have you because you're a hometown girl. You grew up in Gaithersburg and Trisha and I, we both live in the same area. In fact, Dominique and I were very close neighbors and didn't know it. When did you move from there? I moved from there recently because we have a gymnastics gym in Clarksburg and we wanted to be a little bit closer to our gymnastics and ninja academy. Oh, wow. Which we're going to talk a lot about. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Can't wait to talk about that. But you did grow up in Gaithersburg and went to Gaithersburg High and you were actually the high school prom queen. So we as Marylanders are especially proud of you. Oh, thank you. Tell us a little bit about your family growing up and how you got into gymnastics at six years old. Yes, six years old. I actually grew up earlier years. I actually grew up in the Silver Spring Tacoma Park area and started my high school year at Blair. And I went to the old Blair. So that's really telling my age as a 1976 baby. And for part of my career, I would live with my coach because of the time commitment in the sport of gymnastics. Easily, we were training 36 plus hours a week as a young child. And so many times I would move in with my coach because it was hard for my parents to get up at five o'clock in the morning and take me to practice at 6 a.m. in the morning. However, I did finish my high school years. 1994, I graduated from Gaithersburg High School. Go Trojans. (laughs) I signed a full scholarship to Stanford University, and I was supposed to go off and compete in college. And I decided there was a little birdie that got in my ear and got in my coach's ear about another Olympic Games in 1996 in Atlanta, Georgia. So I stayed back in Maryland, went to the University of Maryland College Park, and finished up my schooling there. Wow. Amazing. And so you won your first competition at nine years old? That was my first competition. It was at a Specs Invitational somewhere in Maryland. And I remember I won first all around and I believe I won every single event because there was no one else my age in that group. And (laughs) I fell all over the place. I fell off the balance beam two times. I think I peeled off the bars four (laughs) times. It was quite embarrassing. I rocked it on floor and I rocked it on vault. And that really was a telltale sign of what my career was going to be about. I would have a great deal of highs in my career and a number of lows, but it was a strong start. I had never competed before in any sport. And so it was very challenging to kind of get 
that composure that's needed to stay focused. But I ended up developing that later on in my career. How did it happen? I mean, how did gymnastics kind of find its way to you? My mom, she used to love spending time at Wheaton Mall. And that <laughs> yeah. was right at, yep, she would go to the mall, which was on one side of the road. And there was a gymnastics gym on the other side of the road called Wheaton Marva Tots and Teens. She took myself and my older sister, Daniil, there. She was 10. I was six years old. And I remember when I first stepped in the gymnastics gym, I immediately fell in love. I've always been very vertically challenged. I'm five foot three. And so I was very petite as a child, always muscular, high energy, very much like my four kids that I have today. And so I gravitated to that sport immediately. Our kids did Marva Tots at yeah, one point or another. We were in and out of Marva Tots too. It didn't stick. It didn't stick. When did you realize you had what it takes to compete? And when did you actually start thinking about the Olympics? Well, I will say, I remember when I was first in the gym, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And I would look over at the big girls that were doing these pretty spectacular moves where I had never seen gymnastics on TV before. I did not watch the 84 Olympics per se. So it wasn't like I was drawn to the sport because I saw Mary Lou Rutten win. It was, I saw what these young girls were doing in this gymnastics gym. And I was like, I could do it too. And I know my coach at one point was even quoted and telling me in saying that, oh, you can't do it just yet. You have to learn to do one flip before you can do two flips in a <laughs> row or before you can start twisting. So I just love the challenge of the sport, the physical challenge. And then when I started competing at nine, I realized there was a great deal of emotional and psychological challenges as well. But I set my sights on the Olympics after a local competition when I was 11 years old in Rockville, Maryland. I won the all around and I was 11 and there were 18 year olds in the competition as well, people going off to college. And I won. And after that competition, my mom was quoted in a local paper saying, she's going to the 1992 Olympic Games. And I'm like, really? My mom <laughs> is not even tapped into my career. And she's telling me I'm going to the Olympics. And I know it was a conversation that myself and my coach had because it takes more than one individual making the decision. You have to have your coach on board. You have to have the right training staff and the support of your family because it is a family sacrifice and a family commitment. That's so funny when you say that. It just reminds me that it can go either way. Like if you have the parents that thankfully were so supportive in your career, but I remember when my brother said he was going to run for president and my mother said, you'll never win. That also <laughs> spurred him on to become president, but that's another story. Okay. But I love that your parents were so supportive about that. I was the middle child. And so that's what I, I didn't go ask. through the middle child syndrome where it was kind of like, you're kind of left on your own. My younger brother is autism. He never spoke. I mean, I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and three-year-old twins. And our seven-year-old takes up so much of our time that I remind my husband, we cannot forget about our five-year-old and we can't forget about the older twin that's in the middle. And I was very much dealing with the middle child syndrome where I was kind of left on my own accord to do what I felt Trisha. was best for me. Trish, that's why you were like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, she can relate to that. <laughs> And that allowed me, I think, to soar as I did in the sport of gymnastics. And you have a special needs brother. So he's autistic. Wow. And now he still doesn't speak? He still doesn't speak. He lives with my grandfather. He's a part of a program called the ARC program in Montgomery County where he has work experiences, but he would not be able to live on his own. You know, I can speak from experience when he was younger. It was very challenging for my parents. There weren't very many opportunities for him. I came from a middle-class family where my dad owned a trash company. And so we didn't have the extra funding to be able to get him the services that he needed. So your parents had you and they were developing you and they, they just had their plateful, really. 
Yeah, they have their playful. And I really do think that I, again, went through that middle child syndrome where they're like, okay, yes, go move in with your coach because you know, you want to train 36 plus hours a week in the gym. Now I was a young kid and I didn't know what was right for me. And now as a mother of four, my kids will not go through the same childhood that I went through. They will not train 36 hours a week in the gym. Even parents today at my gymnastics and ninja academy come up to me today and they say that they weeped for me because they're like, you guys were clearly breaking child labor laws back then. And so while I love the sport of gymnastics, you both have read a little bit of what's going on with regards to the culture of the sport of gymnastics. And I am trying to be a part of that positive change because kids do need a balanced childhood. And it's important that there's not so much pressure and so much time and sacrifice and commitment put upon them at a young age. Let's talk a little bit about the culture that you witnessed when you were in the sport and how that spurred you on to create the Dominique Dawes Gymnastics Academy, which is pretty awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was 2016 during the Rio Olympics when Simone Biles won and her team won and Lori Hernandez was quite spectacular, Gabby Douglas among other athletes. And right after that amazing news, the news broke with regards to Larry Nassar. He was my Olympic team doctor for multiple Olympic games. I knew him for 10 years of my childhood. And I can attest of myself and many of my teammates, we saw him as a friend. He was a safe person. However, now it's been proven that he sexually abused hundreds, hundreds of young girls for decades. And the USA Federation, USA Gymnastics, turned a blind eye and a number of people didn't listen to what many young athletes were saying in speaking out against what he was doing. And it broke my soul, my spirit as a mom of four kids. I immediately knew I wanted to be a part of that change. And when I wanted to speak out and get interviewed, my agent even said to me, you don't want to do it because they're going to pull out skeletons in your closet. And I remember Uh. immediately, I was so fearful because you're taught in the sport of gymnastics that you're not perfect and you always need to work on your imperfections. And so I was very fearful and I didn't speak out a great deal in interviews where my husband was like, you need to share your truth. You need to share your story. And so the only quote that I really had out there was the reason why it happened was because of the unhealthy culture. There are so many young girls that are dealing with verbal, psychological, mental, and physical abuse in the sport of gymnastics. They wake up, they're afraid, they're living in anxiety. They, for some reason, have this draw to the sport. They have this love and passion to achieve their goals. But it's not a healthy environment for many young kids. And so it does not surprise me that those that went through the sexual abuse didn't necessarily speak out because they were already uncomfortable and they didn't know who to speak out to. And so the culture really has been based on intimidation, fear, and silence. And after that all set in, I realized I need to be a part of the change. I know the Federation does not want me to be involved, doesn't want me to be the president or any part of leadership. So let me start an academy here in my hometown of Maryland, and hopefully my husband and I, we can open multiple academies. It's positive, it's encouraging, it's empowering, it's about lifting up the self-esteem of these young girls and boys and not tearing it down. I love when you said it's a place where kids can just be kids. So when you were doing it for 36 hours a week, what was that doing to you? Like when you say what you want to give to others, what is it that you had that you don't want them to have? That level of commitment and sacrifice is too much. I always say that if I came from a different household and not saying that I had to come from money or anything like that, but if I had the love and embrace of my mom and dad, 
I would not have made that level of commitment and sacrifice to that one sport. I never felt as if I had this platform where I could speak out and share my truth. And when I was 12 years old and I communicated to a fellow teammate in Australia, what I was going through in the gym, somehow it got back to the individual that I was speaking about. And I remember the wrath that I felt from that person. And after that, I was silenced completely. I wish I had a different option, but I think all pain that we go through in life serves the greater purpose. And that's why I'm so passionate today. And that's why I care about me making such a great impact through these academies that my husband and I are going to open. Our four kids are very involved. It's a family affair. My husband's on the floor many times coaching more than I am. (laughs) And we truly believe about developing the whole child. It is about helping develop them socially, physically, emotionally, psychologically. And that's something I feel from my 18 years in the sport of gymnastics was lacking. And do you think that even with that, you can become an Olympian? That's the challenge. We do not have a competitive team right now. We would like to develop the team from our grassroots level, our young little five, six, seven, and eight-year-olds that show that level of promise and want a certain level of commitment. But I do want to cap the hours. I don't want to exceed 20 hours a week because I want them to have a healthy childhood. Our children only have one childhood. They don't need to live in a gymnastics gym. I don't need parents living in my gymnastics gym, looking in the waiting room like a fishbowl and inspecting or dissecting every single thing that their kid does and says. That's not going to be my facility. You know, I think people are surprised that this three-time Olympian Olympic gold medalist is not training the next generation of Olympians. But You have to listen to what these Olympians are saying and these elite level athletes in the sport of gymnastics are saying. All you have to do is follow hashtag gymnast alliance and you will hear thousands of young girls talk about their stories in the sport of gymnastics, the physical, the psychological, the mental level abuse, the sexual abuse. And it's not worth that. I can have an environment that's a healthy culture, but right now it is focused on preschool gymnastics, recreational gymnastics, and ninja. So what happens if you see someone in your gym who's promising and you think, okay, this girl or boy has it, what would you all do about that? I don't even know the percentage, but I know that it's less than 1%, if not less than a half a percent of getting a shot at making an Olympics, having stepped in the sport of gymnastics at a young age. And so even if someone does have the promise, and I will say we are trained to see those that have the ability, like you can tell with someone's physique. You can tell with the ability to focus, their work ethic, they push through injuries. And again, you have to have a little bit of luck on your side as well. But I have learned to change the way that I view a young kid and view the sport of gymnastics. And so instead of looking at someone and saying, oh, they've got the ability to get to this next level, I focus on building happy, healthy kids. I want them to learn about having a physically healthy upbringing, emotionally healthy environment them to have teammates not look over at their teammates as competitors, but look at them as friends and that they can work hard and challenge themselves together. One thing I was quoted in saying in a Sports Illustrated article years ago, and they did a piece for my teammates and I, the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. Where are they now piece? I was trained to focus on the imperfections in life. Like I would look at something and be like, I need to fix that. I need to correct that. Like this room, I'm like, oh, it's lacking, you know, whatever this, or it's messy or there's toys there. You know, that gymnast's toe point is not perfect enough or her landing. And my husband has helped me change this view of life and focus on what's worth celebrating. Look at that young kid's smile. Look at that kid sweating. They work so hard. 
Look at that coach celebrating that kid's small success instead of looking at what we need to correct in life or the imperfections, working on what's going so well in life. Tell us about your husband. Great guy, former school teacher of 18 years, and he's probably looking forward to going back to teach because this is a lot of work being home with four kids, starting a business during a global pandemic. We've been open now for one year. So we've never run the business, not in the middle of a global pandemic, but he's finding it very fruitful because he's all about connecting with the families, connecting with the kids. And teachers know that best more than anyone, especially teachers that teach for the right reason, not about their own ego, but really about planting the right seeds in a young kid's life. And so he's been very much my driving force in this. And if anyone that knows my personality, they are shocked that I'm opening a gymnastics gym and that I'm running a gym. They're used to me speaking or being in the front of a camera, things of that nature, but building a community, something that I always wish that I had is not natural for me. It's always something I desired, but I didn't think I had the ability to do it. And he's encouraged me to do it. It really is amazing to take your life experience and just do something that completely improves what you went through. And it's really inspiring. Talk about being a gymnast and injuries. We're a health gig podcast. Yeah, <laughs> so we're yeah. kind of interested in how you managed your injuries and the disappointment that came with it when you were training and all of that. Well, if you're training for the Olympics and you're an elite level training athlete, you're going to feel pain almost every single day. And I remember developing tendonitis in my ankles at a very young age and that pain never went away. I was constantly getting MRIs or cortisone shots or putting my foot in a boot during high school. That was none too exciting because you're then teased quite a bit because you're called robo kid. Um, <laughs> but I was constantly dealing with aches and pains, pulling muscles. I never broke a bone, stress fractures, but not a full break, knock on wood. But you learn to push through it. And again, that's a part of something in the sport where it should be taught to you at a young age that you can take a break that it's not the end of the world if you don't go to the gym. We weren't allowed to miss practice. If you were sick or if you were injured, you still had to show up and you had to condition. And even those young girls that were ill, they would walk around from event to event with the trash can in case they were gonna throw up. Oh. So these are things that are pretty common in an elite training environment in the sport of gymnastics, something that I witnessed from age six on, it was normalized for me because that's all I knew. But today, if my kids are experiencing pain, not that I want to make them soft or not that I want to make them weak. However, I recognize that they're kids and there's sometimes a time where you need to rest your body and you need to rest your mind. So are some of these elite training centers, how do they feel about you and your message, which is so important? How do they feel about it? I would have to say that some of them are probably not thrilled. Because really what I'm trying to do, and it's even healthy for me, is to shine a light on the darkness and shine a light on aspects of the sport of gymnastics that people were not privy to. You're so used to seeing us at the Olympic Games. We turn on a smile. We've got makeup on. You know, we do our best performance. People are ooing and aahing because what they do, I mean, if you watch gymnastics the other day, I am amazed at what these young girls are doing. And I used to do it. But the thing is, there's so much more to this journey that needs to be brought to light because you need to think about how is it emotionally, physically impacting these young girls for the rest of their lives? What's next? What do they think of themselves? If you saw the piece on HBO that Michael Phelps did with regards to the mental health of Olympians, he speaks about like an identity crisis. You only see yourself as an Olympian, as a swimmer. 
same thing for gymnasts. When you're doing the sport of gymnastics your whole childhood and then it's over, you're like, what's next? No one prepares you for life after gymnastics. The way I want to help prepare kids is to have a life as well as do the sport of gymnastics, have a balanced childhood. My husband and I spoke this morning with our kids. We're like, we want them to have school friends. We want them to have church friends. We want them to have friends in the gymnastics gym. We want them to have friends at the club. We want this very full childhood for them so that when one aspect of their life is maybe challenged or whatever, if you're not doing well in the sport of gymnastics, it's not the end of the world. That's how many elite level athletes feel. When they're not on their A game, when they're failing, when they're you know not at their best, then they're down on themselves. And that's why so many fall into depression. Simone Biles has talked about her depression and things that she went through regarding the Larry Nassar scandal and the anger that she experienced. And that's not uncommon for many elite level athletes. And to be able to talk about it and for you to be giving people a platform to not only talk about it, recognize it, but what you and your husband are doing is you are changing it, which is incredible. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm blessed about a, a recent project that I was the executive producer of. It was a docu-series called Golden. It's been streaming on Peacock. And I'm the executive producer along with LeBron James and Maverick Carter. It's with his production company. And what we did is we followed five elite level athletes on their journey to the 2020 Tokyo Olympic Games. And what I loved about being a part of this piece is it was transparent. And that's what I said from the beginning. I want to make sure that we are really able to interview these girls and their answers are not diplomatic, but they are expressing to us really what this journey is about. We interviewed their parents, we interviewed their coaches, and you can feel and see the level of fear, the level of anxiety and the level of sacrifice. And I hope that the parents that are watching and the fans that are watching see this and they demand that there's change. You're such a role model for these young girls. It's really remarkable and inspiring. Do you stay in touch with a lot of the Olympic hopefuls now? I do not connect with the Olympic hopefuls now. I will say when they decided to postpone the Olympics, I did reach out to Simone Biles' dad via Facebook. And I said, is she going to stick it out? Because I'm like, I know another 365 days is a very long 365 days. My husband actually encourages me to, especially with the latest docu-series that we did, we followed Lori Hernandez. And there's a number of things that she's struggling with that I can relate to because I struggled with it in my 20s transitioning into the real world, not as a gymnast. And so I'm going to make a very concerted effort to reach out to them. Allie Reisman's mom has reached out to me because she has been a force to ensure that there's change. She is an individual that was abused by Larry Nassar and has been speaking out about the abuses in the sport. She's a beautiful girl and she would be a great role model, but she, like me, you know, you feel guilty being honest because it's a very secretive community. And if you speak out and you're honest, you then feel as if you're blackballed or you're shunned or how dare you. And that's something that my Olympic teammate, Dominique Mochianu, has gone through for nearly 20 years. She spoke out in the late 90s about the abuses. And when I was interviewed back then, about what she was saying, I completely denied it because of fear, because I wasn't comfortable in speaking and sharing my truth because I went back to my 12-year-old self coming back from Brisbane, Australia and getting reamed out. And I then went and stayed in my shell. And so I love the fact that these young girls of this generation are vocal because they want the sport to be a healthier sport. And it's only going to happen if we're all outspoken about it. You know, there's an added layer for you, too, as the first Black woman to win the individual Olympic medal is huge. And that's another kind of responsibility I imagine you were feeling as that youngster, as a 12-year-old, 
and then how that plays now. Can you talk about that? It might sound silly, but when I opened my gym, a number of parents, children, and even staff members came to me and they thanked me for what I was doing. And they shared with me the stories that either their kids have had or they personally have had in the sport of gymnastics. And I remember going back home to my husband and even weeping and saying, I can't believe they experienced this because they had told me that from my achievements, they felt drawn to put their kids in the sport or they personally felt drawn to the sport of gymnastics. And I felt very guilty because of them then going through some abuses. And I'm like, oh, they were inspired by me. They then get in this environment. They're put down. They're not damaged by any means, but they're put down. They're treated poorly and just tossed aside. While it made me very sad, it drove me to recognize that I need to make sure that I am a part of this change. And that whenever I feel that self-doubt, that insecurity and that fear, which I feel every single time I speak out honestly, I need to remember those that need me to do this to help them heal. And for the next generation of gymnasts, my four kids included, they need a healthier version of the sport of gymnastics. And that's what I'm telling parents. Your kids are going to learn the amazing fundamentals in the sport of gymnastics here. And they're also going to be empowered and encouraged and lifted up. That's so beautiful. It really Um, is. But one of the things that Trisha and I love about you is that you do have a life beyond gymnastics. Now. (laughs) Yeah, now. And you're kind of like a renaissance woman. (laughs) You are an actress and have done some acting. (laughs) Have done some acting. Let's say that. It's over. Oh, it's over? Well, you were in a music video, Prince's music video. It was because it was Prince. It's not because I wanted all of a sudden to do all these music videos. And I worked with Missy Elliott and I'm in a number yeah. of uh, hip hop artists rap songs as well. Part of the hip hop culture, you know, which, you know, I love aspects of it. But as a mom, I can't have them listen to the majority yeah. of these songs. Um, <laughs> I started the Broadway musical Grease in 1996 and part of 97. And I played Patty Simcox. That was the bubbly cheerleader, which is so not my personality. I am much more guarded and more introverted than people would ever imagine. It was a lot of fun. It was interesting having my name in lights in Broadway. That's what a lot of people strive for, and they think it will equate to happiness and fulfillment. And I will say I was at a very dark time in my life, transitioning from my second Olympics to the real world and trying to find myself. And I knew while this was a great opportunity for me, it wasn't fulfilling me. It wasn't where God wanted me to be. And so I did it for a little bit. I felt very honored. Definitely no talent in singing, acting, and dancing. And soon after, <laughs> Greece did go dark, and my husband blames it on me. So, uh, <laughs> oh well, at least yeah, you tried right? it. Yeah, I did go back. Do you mind sharing what that dark time was like for you, or what happened, or how you felt, or what was going on? You know, I think the thing is when you're a young child and you set your sights on the Olympics and you achieve most of what you had set out to achieve, you think and you've been sold on. The fact this is going to lead to happiness and fulfillment coming from a middle-class family. You think, oh, if I make my own money, I'm going to be happy and I'll be able to support myself. And my name is in lights and you're not just an Olympian, but you're now doing something outside of your comfort zone and people are there to applaud you or what have you. I then realized this isn't where I want to be. This isn't where I feel called to be. This is not my vocation. 
I truly do care about impacting and inspiring. That's the road that I took. So I started going back more into motivational speaking, even on the Hill, promoting a number of different issues that were very important to me, health, fitness, wellness, women, equality type issues, especially pertaining to sports for young girls, because I understand the benefit of having young girls in sports, even if they don't make the Olympic team or the pros, the qualities and characteristics that they can develop working with their teammates is invaluable. But I do speak about like, don't strive for money, don't strive for titles, obviously get your education. Don't strive to be around people necessarily with power or be that yourself because your happiness is going to come from you doing something that's very fulfilling. And I never thought that I would love being, it's not even a gym owner, but having the ability, it's almost like we own a school It sounds and we're like teaching it. kids and planting those seeds. And that's what I love is that I look forward to in 10 years, 20 years, these kids coming back and connecting again with my coaches or connecting with me and my husband or my kids growing up in this facility and wanting to come back in the school that my husband used to teach at. He would constantly tell me how his students would come back and want to grab a, when they were old enough, grab a beer with Mr. Thompson or invite Mr. Thompson to their wedding as they were the valedictorian, thanking Mr. Thompson in a speech and really meaning it. And it made me think about not necessarily my school, but where I spent the majority of my childhood, which was the gymnastics gym. And I thought, how many of my teammates and I go back excited to go back, not out of fear, but are excited to go back and feel this genuine love and connection, not because of what we achieve, but because of who we are as a person. And the majority of my teammates that I know that I was closer with don't have that level of excitement. And that's what we want to build at our gym academies in the state of Maryland. You guys are true disruptors. Like you're like the disruptors. In the, in the oh, no. oh, no. <laughs> and also creating an entirely new culture. I mean, it's a whole it. new culture, you know? It's hard to change culture. It's very hard. And like you said, just to continue on to make that shift. I mean, that's amazing. So how did you meet Mr. Thompson? Through mutual <laughs> friends. That's the story we tell. I mean, I was older in life. I was 34, about to turn 35. And I had dated enough people that gave off an appearance of confidence and security. And then when you were with them, they were not. But I was still working on my own things as well. So it's not like I was perfect. And I think the timing for him and I to meet was very, you know, good timing. Though we've gone through, I mean, it's marriage. So you're going to go through your ups and downs. And you sometimes do need time apart, even though I'm like, no, stay near. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, he's a great guy. And he is very much in some ways my opposite. And it drives me nuts. But when we meet halfway and we learned this in pre-Cana, when we did pre-Cana, we learned about each other's personalities. I'm a choleric. He's the sanguine. The analogy they gave us is, well, just envision you're going up a mountain and you're pushing up a boulder. And the young lady said, Dominique is only going to focus on getting to the top of that mountain is going to be just pushing that boulder up. She's going to have blinders on and that is her focus. And she said, well, Jeff, while you've told him what to do of pushing that boulder up a hill, he's going to start it kind of, and then he's going <laughs> to look over, see a party and be gone. And then, come back, and then he'll come back and help. And she said, if you guys could find a way to do that together and accomplish what it is that you're supposed to accomplish in life, you're going to have a grand old time. I'm going to learn to enjoy life more and not be critical and needing to better myself or think I'm bettering others. And he will learn to get on track at times and be focused. And that has truly been our marriage. Oh, that's so neat. Sounds like you're accomplishing big things together, <laughs> which is so wonderful. So Dominique, what do you want to leave our listeners with today? You know, I do want to remind your listeners the importance of, and it's crazy to think that people even say this, but work-life balance. 
I've learned that now at almost 45 years old, a mother of four kids and a wife, that 24 hours in a day is not enough hours in a day. And that I need to make sure that I'm not trying to be superwoman. As an entrepreneur, as a wife, and as a mother of four kids, and then, oh yeah, there's myself and my own personal needs. And we need to remember that we're not superwoman, that we don't need to be. We don't need to judge and compare ourselves to those around us. Don't strive for perfection. And that balance and taking a deep breath is so important. And for the female listeners out there, we need to make sure that we put our physical, our emotional, our spiritual, and our social health first. Because if we are not taking care of ourselves, we're not able to be there for our husbands. We're not able to give all that we can for our children. And if we are also working outside the home, not able to do that as well. And I will say the greatest vocation that I've been called to do truly has been motherhood. And that does take priority after my relationship with God. My husband, he always feels like he's not second though, but my husband, and then my four kids, and then everything else is icing on the cake. Well, Dominique, thank you so much for joining us today. And we just think the world of you and we appreciate you. So thank you. And we're excited about your new center. Thank you so much. And hopefully you guys can come out to the Dominique Dawes Gymnastics and Ninja Academy. First one's open in Clarksburg, Maryland now. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.